Hi, this is Jerry Howard, and welcome to Housing Developments. This is Jim Tobin. Uh, glad to be back after uh, a couple-month hiatus. Yeah, Jim, you've been traveling a lot this summer, I know. Yeah, we've uh, been out about, about the country uh, visiting with some of our local home builders associations, taking a little time for vacation with my family before we hit the fall silly season for the last half of the legislative session. How about you? You've been uh, you've been all over the country yourself, lots of travel. Yeah, I have, just like you, visiting with a lot of local home builders associations. It seems like the mood is still relatively upbeat. Uh, builders are out there uh, making money and uh, providing housing. It, it, everybody was in a really good mood. It's good to see. Yeah, I mean, we're still hearing the same headwinds that we've uh, we've been hearing for the last year, whether it's labor, lots, uh, lending even is starting to creep back up from the AD&C perspective. But it's uh, we're looking forward to another good fall, but but more importantly, more travel. I know you're going to be on the road uh, starting as soon as this week and, uh, and certainly every week here on out. Yeah, in fact, this is the last week before Christmas that I'll be in the office all week. But uh, it's great to get out into uh, the country and talk to builders and, and see what they're thinking. It really helps you uh, get grounded and helps me know what's important uh, for the staff to be working on when we're back here in town. Well, since we last met, tell me about a little bit about the summer. Not just your summer, but tell me about uh, what, what NHB's been up to. Well, Jim, as you know, we, we had a really busy beginning to the summer. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that our staff did in, uh, we'll call it, for, for lack of a better term, assisting HUD put on the Innovative Housing Showcase in early June. You and I both know that uh, Secretary Carson came to us and actually asked us to run it. Uh, it was an incredibly successful event, uh, building homes on the National Mall uh, and showcasing some of the innovative techniques that our members are using to provide housing was a real thrill for everybody involved. Yeah, it's and, and that, like you said, kicked off a, a great summer season, I think, just in our interaction with, with this White House in particular. Greg Ugaldi was in the, uh, the Oval Office standing next to the president, uh, as he signed an executive order on, on housing and removing the barriers to affordable housing. So tell us a little bit about that executive order. Well, the first thing that the listeners need to know about that executive order is that our staff and no other staffs that we know of in Washington had input into the actual substance of that order. Jim Tobin, Dave Ledford, a couple others of our team were in the White House talking to the people who wrote that executive order. And oh, by the way, we got to read it before it was published. We almost got to proofread it before it was made public. That is a huge feather in the cap of NEHB. The executive order itself basically mandates all of the cabinet agencies to look at the rules and regulations that they're operating under and determine which ones are an impediment to housing affordability in our country with an eye towards then removing, altering, some way editing, amending those regulations to provide for more housing affordability in the United States. Never in my career has this happened, Jim. We've been able to really leverage some of this housing affordability crisis into action at the White House level, and it's something that uh, I think our members should take great pride in. Well, and and I think equally as important is that is this White House has understood what the housing crisis is, right? Regulation, we just talked about that, but they also understand labor as well. Greg Ugaldi, uh, as well as uh, some members of our Home Builders Institute, our students uh, who work in those programs with Job Corps, as well as a, a couple of our, our trained students from the military, as, as well as a student from Iowa, Greg Ugaldi took them into the White House in July to participate in the first anniversary of the President's Council on Workforce and the American Worker. Uh, and, and again, this White House highlighting the importance of the labor and the skilled labor shortage that this industry is facing 
uh, and making sure that he's doing whatever he can to encourage more people to get into the trades. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that, that our members should take pride in is in June, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell was testifying before Congress, and he was questioned about housing affordability and housing production and why we've never come back to full capacity since the Great Recession. Powell used our information in a quote that I think, this is almost a direct quote where he said, the home builders tell me that it's almost a perfect storm for their industry in terms of headwinds in the country. I've never heard a Fed chairman quote us in his testimony either. So uh, we're, we are really making our influence felt here in Washington. And the ultimate goal is to turn it into something for the election year. Make sure that all the candidates understand that housing affordability is on the decline and that something needs to be done sooner rather than later. Yeah, and as you said, as we get into the campaign silly season, you know, at the beginning of the summer, we had about 25 candidates running for the Democratic nomination. Uh, a full six or seven or eight of them have made housing one of the planks in their early campaigns. Over the summer, as we know, we've going to see some of the winnowing of that field, and now I think we're we're down to about 20, uh, <laughs> uh, and and we're going to see that further shrink as we get into the third set of debates, which will happen in Houston in in, in the next couple of weeks. We're seeing that only about 10 of those candidates are going to qualify for that debate stage. So we're going to continue to see that field shrink, uh, which means a more intense campaign from the Democrats, but also an opportunity for those candidates to separate themselves, especially on issues of housing. And when, like you said, we haven't seen a president devote this much time and attention to housing in our careers, you couple that with the Democrats who are running for the presidency talking about housing as well, this is a real opportunity for our industry and importantly, NAHB to lead the housing sector in the political and the policy realm when it comes to how do we solve the, the issues facing our industry. Well, in, in the parlance of our industry, Jim, you uh, hit the nail right on the head with that. It's an opportunity for us. We really need to take what we've built and make it even bigger and better. And uh, I think that's something that you and I will be focusing on along with Paul Lopez in the coming season here in the fall to make sure that we build on this notion that housing affordability is a, an issue uh, and make it one of the top issues in the presidential election cycle going forward. In the last two weeks, you and I have spent a lot of time on an issue that is really important to our multifamily members, and that's the issue of rent control. You know, previously, rent control was an issue only in a few very liberal uh, cities, largely like New York on the East Coast. But now uh, we are fighting statewide rent control in the state of California. What can you tell the listeners about that? Well, uh, two years ago, the, the California voters uh, soundly rejected a, a proposition, Proposition 10 to be exact, on statewide rent control in the state of California. Unfortunately, what we found is the backers of that referendum, they're planning on coming back in 2020 for yet another run at rent control. Our industry spent upwards of $80 million defeating that proposition two years ago, and the prospect is that we're going to have to face that again. So uh, the legislature is taking a look at trying to short-circuit that referendum by taking a run at, at a piece of legislation that would impose statewide rent control. Our association in California, the California Builders Association, uh, took a lead role in trying to craft a compromise, given the, the crazy politics of a supermajority in California and a governor who wants to sign some sort of rent control provision. Our, our California members decided to, to essentially cut a deal uh, with the legislature on rent control. 
as we know, all bad ideas seem to surface on the West Coast or the left coast, as our California members will tell us, and they flow steadily eastward. Uh, and what we have is some, some other states are going to take up California-style rent control. And from a, an association that represents multifamily, we can't let that happen. So we're going to put up a fight in California. If anything, we can help our California members get a better deal. But even more so, uh, we can put the rest of the country on notice that rent control is not the way to tackle housing affordability. It's a supply side issue. And, and you know, manufacturing you know, lower rents is not the way to go about it. It doesn't serve anybody. Rent control is a bad idea from its very inception. You basically are telling property owners that they can't even raise the prices of their rents to cover the costs that they're incurring to keep the property in good shape, to keep it habitable, let alone make a, a reasonable return on their investment. This is the kind of thing where it's, it's a short-term bandage to a problem, and it will ultimately make the overall problem that much worse. It's short-sighted. It makes the state of California look even more short-sighted than their national reputation is in policy matters, and it's something that we've got to stop at that border, if not stop it in Sacramento. I, I'm just as appalled as our multifamily members that something that makes absolutely no sense when you think about it for longer than a two- or three-year window is really getting legs in a state legislature. It's something I agree with you, we got to fight it, and, and we're not going to let this go down easily. That's right. Okay, Jim. Well, as we've said, we're going to have to fight this rent control issue tooth and nail, hopefully stall it in its tracks in California. But if not, make sure that it doesn't come into some of the uh, other states uh, and move eastward, uh, sweeping the country. It's an issue that really underscores the problem of housing affordability uh, in our nation right now. And it's something that, uh, as you and I've said before, for the first time ever, you have a president who's focusing on housing affordability, Several of the Democratic candidates are addressing it in some of their early statements, are they not? No, that, that's absolutely right. Some of the top contenders have significant housing platforms and, and solutions to the housing crisis in the country. Well, I think that's really a telling situation, and it's one that we really need to capitalize on because right now, just barely over 50% of Americans can afford the average monthly mortgage payment or the average monthly rental payment. Usually that number hovers around 80%, and it's dropped so precipitously with no sign of going up. I applaud the administration for acknowledging it. I applaud the Democrats for acknowledging it. Hopefully we'll be able to get people to sit down after the election's over and talk seriously about our nation's housing problem before it gets any worse. And I will say yet again, that housing problem is not going to be made better by artificially reducing rents through rent control. That doesn't make any sense at all. But uh, these are all things for early next year. Uh, and before we get to the beginning of the silly season, we'll be going to the IBS out in Las Vegas. We're looking forward to it as always. Yeah, January 21st to 23rd, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada for uh, the, the, the biggest show of the season. I'm looking forward to getting back out there again, a chance for us to, uh, and, and by that point, we will be just on the verge of the Iowa caucuses, of the New Hampshire primaries, the Nevada primaries, just about a month after 
we are in Las Vegas. So for me, great chance to see our members and in, in the in the latest and greatest that the industry has to offer to its customers. But more importantly, we're getting ready to kick off for uh, the general election year. So I'm looking forward to Las Vegas uh, in, in January. Well, as we all are, and for our members, uh, there'll be over 100, closer to 200 educational sessions available at the IBS. Everything from helping you uh, with the newest back office technologies to the latest and greatest in appliances and, and other elements that go into the house. It is a tremendous opportunity. There'll be close to a million square feet of exhibit space, over 100,000 people. So come to Las Vegas. If you're in the Northeast or the Rocky Mountain states, I can guarantee you it'll be warmer weather than there is in your home. So please come to the IBS uh, in January. Again, that's January 21st to 23rd. And now, uh, Jim, uh, we're being joined here by our guest speaker today, uh, Lynn Fisher, who is a senior economic advisor at the Federal Housing Finance Agency, uh, advising the likes of Mark Calabria and Adolfo Marzal, working together to uh, maybe to help us address this housing affordability problem. We certainly hope so. Lynn, uh, as you know, is a former vice president at the Mortgage Bankers Association. So she's, a, uh, I assume, a friend of our friend Bill Kilmer over there, a friend of NHB's and all of our listeners. Uh, Lynn, welcome to Housing Developments, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me today. And I am, as you said, really excited to be here uh, as part of Director Calabria's uh, new team over at FHFA. Um, I'm a reformed academic. I was in academia for a number of years both teaching housing development and teaching housing policy, among other topics. Been in industry for a number of years. Definitely know your, your friend, Mr. Kilmore, at MBA. And really appreciate the ability to chat with you guys today. Well, we appreciate it. As you probably picked up uh, listening to us a little bit, Linda, housing affordability is a notion that as Jim and I travel around the country and we talk to builders, housing affordability is one of the if not the preeminent issue that's holding our industry back from getting up to full capacity and has basically held us back all through uh, this growth period after the Great Recession. Can you tell us what, if any, plans FHFA has to help the industry through this crisis? Well, I think as uh, the director would say, that the affordability issues that the country faces are a national problem with local roots. We're definitely paying attention to the types of things going on at, at the state and local level, thinking about land use regulations, looking at how that plays out across different parts of the country. You know, one of the lenses we have into that is the house price index, right? We can see the pace at which house prices are growing in different parts of the country. And so you know, we're working on making sure we have a stable financial market that can help support folks become homeowners while we keep an eye on some of the things happening on the supply side of the market. Lynn, this is Jim Tobin. Just a quick question. You mentioned previously about the house price index. Tell us a little bit about it and, and who's the audience for that and what are, what are your goals with the index? Well, we just released our, our quarterly house price index for the second quarter of the year. Um, house prices are still increasing at about 5% on a year-over-year basis. So that's you know, when you think about it, prices have been going up for eight years, and for them to still be increasing at 5% a year, that is sort of at the root of this concern about affordability. That being said, we are seeing the rate of appreciation slow down a little bit, so that's good. Anything that uh, gets that rate of appreciation a little closer to wage growth, I think, uh, tends to help. The, the audience for the index 
everybody interested in the housing market, certainly uh, you know, housing market participants, but also investors and mortgages um, care, right? The, the underlying data for the index is coming from Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and their purchases of, you know, their acquisitions of loans. And so it's a purchase mortgage index. Lynn, do you see the house price uh, index as a uh, as a leading indicator? Is it just a snapshot of, of the market now? There's been a lot of concern over the last couple of weeks about the health of the economy, and you've seen mixed messages coming out of the White House as far as uh, we think everything's okay. Well, we may see some softening. Some have even used the the, the R word, a recession. There was brief talk about a tax package. Uh, what, what is what is FHFA seeing uh, for the economy as as a whole, and and how much uh, do you think that that housing is playing a, a a role in either a slowdown or uh, dare I say even a recession? So just the house price index itself is a little bit backwards looking, right? So if it's the second quarter data, that's reflecting interest rates and sort of the state of the economy that folks really saw in the first quarter. So so that it is a little bit of a slow indicator in that rate. And as you know, even since the second quarter, we've had an additional drop in interest rates that should, you know, feed into the housing market a little bit. It should be a positive influence in the market uh, as the summer goes along. So third quarter, you know, we'll see what we find. Certainly um, we'll be able through there. But listen, the the economy of, of the U.S., the domestic economy, that house has a pretty solid foundation right now, right? Low unemployment, strong, and we continue to have good good job growth, wages are growing at a moderate pace, that foundation is good. Policy risk and uncertainty, you know, those are things that, that can certainly buffet that foundation, however. So right now, you know, a lot of things external to the U.S., I think, that, uh, that pose some risk. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing the Fed and others react in the way that they are. Our economic analysis shows that housing has actually been a drag on the economy for the last couple of quarters. We agree with Director Calabria and your comment earlier that a lot of that housing slowdown is due to a supply issue. In his confirmation hearings, Director Calabria talked about supply and the FHFA possibly playing a role in supply. Let me ask you, do you see that happening and how would that look uh, in your view, if the FHFA were to do something to help our builders be able to build, particularly for the first-time home buyer market, which seems to be uh, one of the most laggard uh, of the, the segments of the housing market and which happens to be the segment of the market which drives the rest of housing? Yeah, you, you cannot deny that in this housing cycle, housing starts and new housing development are just really orders of magnitude lower than what we've seen in prior cycles. I mean, the the housing response has been incredibly sluggish. It's going to take us some time to develop policies that would directly uh, reach the supply side of the market. Obviously, we have controls and influence directly over the mortgage market, and our job is to make sure that that the mortgage market will be operating through the cycle, uh, no matter what happens over the coming years and that we're able to continue to back and help folks become first-time homebuyers. So those policies are still to be developed. But you do see then um, a role for uh, the GSEs potentially in the supply side. We'll need help from partners like you to figure that out. You you mentioned rent control earlier, right? That 
is something that definitely has an impact on the value of multifamily collateral in different markets. And so that is something we'll need to take some research at uh, to and take a look at. Well, we look forward to working with you. Our members have uh, found it difficult to get back to uh, full-scale operations during the course of this growth period, and some of that has to do with the availability of capital uh, for acquisition and development in particular. Uh, And so we look forward to working with you and your colleagues over there to take the necessary steps going forward, and we appreciate that invitation. We know that the administration is getting ready to release its its housing finance, uh, I don't know if we'll call it a reform plan, but but a larger plan that, that HUD and Treasury developed jointly. And we've heard that it's uh, it's over in the White House now for final review. How will how will FHA interact with that, re- FHFA, uh, interact with that report, uh, given that you're an independent agency? You, what, what's what's the long-term goals here with, with what the, the, the administration's doing? Uh, and, and where does... FHFA fit in? I, I can't directly speak to, to administrative goals, uh, the administration's goals rather, but we're going to sit down and read the report like everyone else when it comes out. We're going to figure out the ways in which we're going to be able to work with Treasury and others in order to advance the goals of this agency. I think Director Calabria has very clearly stated he believes it's his job to pull the enterprises, to get the enterprises out of conservatorship over time and that we're going to need to pay a lot of attention to the capital side uh, in order to do so. So we're going to sit down, read that, and then figure out how we're going to partner with others that we need to while still acting as you know in our independent uh, role. Well, Lynn, we, we appreciate that, and we appreciate your being on the show with us today. Uh, as always, we offer our guests the last word. Uh, well, I think right now uh, I just wanted to point out our house price index out this week. We're offering new data on a regional basis. Um, It's still really amazing to see all regions, all states, all cities still have positive house price growth. We expect that to to continue to moderate and hopefully become more sustainable over time. Lynn Fisher, economist at the FHFA. We appreciate your being on here. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, Lynn Fisher, a senior economist at the FHFA. And now for the rest of the story, we would like to bring in NHB's own economist, Danushka Naniakara-Skillington. So, Danushka, what are your thoughts on the status of the economy and the outlook for housing? Hi, this is Danushka Naniakara. I am the AVP for Forecasting and Analysis, and I'm going to give a little update about the housing and the economy at large. Uh, housing construction has seen little growth on average, particularly in a single-family building. Single-family starts remain around 3% lower on a year-to-date basis due to the slower months earlier this year. So despite these sluggish numbers, new home sales have actually picked up, increasing around 4% on a year-to-date basis. And uh, existing home sales actually rebounded in July, increasing for the first time in year-over-year gains. We have also observed a shift towards smaller and less expensive homes as well. On a positive note, 30-year mortgage rate has been steadily declining in the past few weeks because the 10-year Treasury yield has fallen. This means increased housing affordability that could draw potential buyers into the market. In addition, forward-looking indicators for home sales are positive. Purchase mortgage applications have been on a solid uptrend, and the Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey revealed a positive shift 
in mortgage demand in the second quarter. Also, both home buyer and the home builder sentiment, uh, the HMI, have been steadily rising, arguing for greater sales and home construction in the future. On the other hand, downward risks around the economy has risen and consumer confidence looks vulnerable. Housing supply is another constraint. Tight labor uh, construction labor market along with rise in land development and other regulatory costs as well as continued increasing in permitting times have made home builders more sensitive to the uncertainty about the economic outlook. On a regional basis, the only region to be positively contributing to housing starts has been the South, with a contraction in building in the West serving as a drag. Given all this, we are forecasting single-family housing starts to be around 2% lower compared to 2018. Existing home sales should be coming in a little lower this uh, year as well, around 4.7 million, and new home sales around 620,000 in 2019. Thanks. Danushka, thanks so much. I appreciate giving our members a, an opportunity to, uh, to hear what the state of the economy is. I also want to thank our guest, Lynn Fisher, for joining us from FHFA to talk about their role in the economy and what they see in housing going forward. As Jerry and I talked about over the course of our time on during this, this week's edition, a lot on the plate for NHB, a lot of opportunity uh, to talk about housing affordability and uh, a lot, whether it's politics or policy, NHB is at the forefront of what we're doing. That's exactly right, Jim. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be an exciting time uh, leading up to the 2020 election. Plenty of opportunities for us, and we just have to keep our eye on the ball and make sure we hit it out of the park. This fall is going to be an exciting time, both here in Washington and all over the country as college football season kicks off. Let me say with my daughter as a freshman at the University of Georgia, Go dogs! This is Jim Tobin signing off from NHB. And this is Jerry Howard. Thanks for being here. 